ready to preach. I'm ready to go. Amen. Well, it's been a blessing being here so far, and uh, discussion time on Acts was good, and the children's lesson was, uh, it was for me. <laughs> You know, it's not just children. Just do the things your parents tell you to do and do it the way they tell you to do. Well, you know what? That applies to us, too. When we hear specific instruction from our Father in Heaven, He says, do this and do it this way. Our response should be, yes, Lord, whatever you say. And what was the end result? His life was spared. So, man, if that's all we get out of the service today, we've gotten a lot. So thank you, George, for sharing that. That was a blessing and a challenge. <clears throat> All right. I have a, a teaching, which I know is a stretch for me. It's not, I don't consider my gifting, but it's been on my heart a long time, a few years. I shared this message in Cheyenne, dated February 27th, 2011. So it's been a while, but this has been on my heart for a long time, and I've just been wondering, Lord, when is the right time to bring this up? And uh, just in light of kind of we've got a few couples courting and, and such, it just seemed like this is the time. And uh, so the title of my message is, so this, this is going to be more of a doctrinal teaching, so pray for me. Come, bro. Godly wives question emphasis on the question I'm going to go through a lot of scripture here so bear with me we're going to be I'm going to have you opening up to uh, a lot of them but Initially, for my introduction, I'm just going to just read through these, and I'm not going to ask you to follow along with these, because I've got four passages I'm going to read through as an intro. First of all, that's a loaded question, just to let you know. I don't believe in compromising God. How, how does that fit? That's why it's a question mark, just to, in case somebody's wondering, where are you going here, brother? Um, just to set your mind at ease. Okay. Words of our Lord Jesus, and everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. Again, this is out of Mark 10. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, but shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with, with persecutions, and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. <clears throat> A little bit more. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth, Jesus said. I am not. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foe shall be they of his own household. 
He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And then one more here out of Luke 12. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. <clears throat> Those to me have always been what I would consider hard passages. Because it spells out an expensive price to pay to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Sometimes it means forsaking your own family. That's just how it is. Especially you go to the Muslim countries. Uh, it's, that is what it's going to cost. But it's coming more and more right here in our land right here. Um, <clears throat> the first red letters, I'll say, come in Matthew chapter 4. It was to John the Baptist, actually, when he was when Jesus was stepping forward to be baptized. And John resisted. I need you to baptize me. That was a good response from John the Baptist. And then he goes into the temptations of the devil, and Jesus has this conversation with, with Satan. And then he comes out, and Lucas says he came out of that in the power of the Spirit of God. And in Matthew, it says his, his first real public words were repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <clears throat> Which I think we can learn something from. That's the message. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. But then just two verses after that, he comes across Peter and Andrew. And he gives them a call. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. If you remember when he called Matthew. In the tax collecting booth. Just two words. Follow me. That's the call. And that's the call for every single person on the face of the earth. Whether it's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, a husband or a wife. That's the call. Follow me. Very simple. Again, gospel is very simple. Follow me. So I want to just emphasize some points there before we get going here. Okay. A wife's submission to her husband. Is there a line to draw? There is a teaching that's out there, and I used to embrace it, that says... A wife is to submit to her husband even to the point if he tells her to sin against God. I used to embrace that. I don't anymore. Thank God I had some dear brothers that were able to just sit down with me a little at a time 
and teach me and show me some scriptures and get the context of some scripture. Brother Denny was one of them. And uh, so I want to go through this. But because that teaching's out there, I just I, it's a burden of mine that we get good, solid teaching. And what is biblical? Again, the foundation of the call, everybody is called by Christ to follow him. Everybody. That's the call for all human beings on the face of the earth. Follow him. Okay. Let's go through some examples here. We have examples in scriptures where we see some, I'll say, disobedience to authorities. Where it's, it's okay, basically. Um, so I'm going to go through a few of them as examples to kind of set forth a principle. Uh, if we're called by some type of authority to disobey God, what was Peter's words? We ought to obey God rather than men. There is a line. There is a line. You take this teaching that says, wives, submit to your husbands, period. Whatever, everything. Is she supposed to submit to that if he calls his wife to disavow her faith in Christ? We would say, of course not. And that's right. And so, therefore, we can conclude, yes, there is a line. Okay? There is a line. Okay. Uh, I'm going to just go over a few verses in Acts 16. You can go ahead and turn there. Acts 16. I got a pretty lengthy passage written down there, but I'm not going to read the whole thing because I got a, I got a fair bit I want to go through. I don't want to get bogged down. <clears throat> Acts 16. It's, it's the account of Paul and Philippi being jailed, being beaten, and the, the, the Philippian jailer getting born again. The earthquake happened there and, and, uh, and such. And Paul, I, to, to me this is interesting. Well, let's just go to 16, Acts 16 and verse 16. Uh, this is the story of, yeah, I think I'll start at uh, verse 19. This is the story of the, the damsel that was possessed of a devil, and, and she was mocking Paul uh, and Silas there. Uh, and so Paul rebuked the, the demon out of the girl, and all of a sudden the guys that had control of this young lady, they lost their, their income because she couldn't be a soothsayer anymore. And her master's, Verse 19, saw that the hope of their gains was gone. They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison. Okay. And then later on, we go through the story of how the Philippian jailer got born again there. And then the magistrates, in verse 35, says, 
When it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeants, saying, Let these men go. And the keeper of the prison told them this saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. And Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. Now do they thrust us out privately? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. Paul's being kind of ornery here. You know, they, they, they beat these guys. They beat Paul and Silas, put them into jail. Now, you know, I, I'm sorry. It's like a cowardly politician, really, is what they we're doing. Well, let's let these guys out to the side. We, you know, we kind of messed up here. And, and Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You tell those guys, you come and let, you come let us out. He's calling them on the carpet, basically. Now, it, it's not really a clear passage that clearly, to me anyway, clearly shows that they're just being flat out disobedient to a government authority. But in a sense, they certainly are. Because you know they beat them basically for preaching the gospel is the, the root there. And they're going to continue on whether the government tells them to do it or not. Okay? And then we can also think of many, many examples throughout the world even today where people are preaching the gospel in countries where it is against the law to even be a believer. And we would say, God bless you. Keep on going for Jesus. They know. It's, it's like you mentioned there. They, you know, they've got people that they're going to print Bibles. They know they're going to get caught. But the price is worth it to print out a year's worth of Bibles. And who here would, would say, well, don't do that then. If it's no, we would say, God bless you, brothers, sisters, go. It's right and good at times to draw a line. We're getting more and more to that place in this land where we're going to have to draw lines with what the government begins to tell us to do and say, wait a second here. You're telling me to turn against my God, and I will not do that. And if it costs me my life, so be it. But that would be good and right. That's been a principle that's been adhered to throughout the centuries since the beginning of the church. So there is a time to draw a line with government, okay? There's a time to draw a line with religious leaders. Go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 18. The church is beginning and exploding. And the Pharisees can't stand it. And they, verse 18, they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They were clearly told by religious leaders, Jewish leaders, Stop this teaching in the name of Jesus. And they said, sorry, but we cannot help, but we have to. We will. They drew a line. Over in Acts 5, 
one chapter over. Verse 17, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, and brought them forth, and said, Go stand and speak in the temple of the people all the words of this life. And it goes on to talk about how they went to fetch him in the prison. They weren't there. And... Uh, in verse 29, they tell him, did we not, verse 28, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. I can imagine people saying, Amen. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. That that statement is a strong, powerful statement. It applies to all facets of life. We ought to obey God rather than men. Okay. You know, we read these, these opening passages. I'm sorry. So we looked at... Drawing a line with governments. Drawing a line with religious leaders. Oh yeah, one story I want to share with you. I may have shared this before, so bear with me a little bit. But I used to home church with a, a man, oh, 25 years ago when we lived in western Colorado. And he was a part of what was called the Emmaus Fellowship. It was a group in Grand Junction, Colorado. And they migrated all down to Waco, Texas. I don't know why Waco, Texas seems to be a place that draws cults but that's where they began to go it, it does it, it, and uh, and he had real question marks about this group and where they were going where, what they were teaching what they were saying and he said he, he stayed in Colorado he didn't go down to Texas but in the process of the group slowly migrating down to Texas some of the leaders that were still in Colorado he said they they spoke up one time and they, he said they said this. They said, you need to consider, these, these leaders of a church saying, you need to consider whatever we say as coming from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he said, that was it. He said, I was done. And I said, good, brother, good. You should have been done. That was enough. Where he said, I'm out of here. Me and my family, we are out of this place. And I said, good. Because that's... Man, that, that, is, that guy needs, he needs saved, basically. That man needs saved. But that was a point where he was looking at his own church. And he came to the line where he said, Nope, I'm not crossing that line. I'm taking my family. I'm moving on. And that was right. That was a good Who would disagree with that here, right here? That, that was right. A point to... Draw a line with religious leaders, with governments, with parents, even. Uh, you know, you read, I read through those first four passages there. It talks about forsaking houses, brethren, sisters, father, mother. Um, you know, I have a little phrase I wrote down here. If I tell my son to lie or cheat on his taxes, should he do it? 
Well, no. No. What are you talking about? Dad, what are you... T- the, this, this, the answer is simple there. So my point being, there's a line. There is a line. We're called to follow Christ. And if somebody gets in the way to try and take you off that course and sidetrack you off of that calling, it's good and right to say, no, I'm following, I'm following my Lord and my Savior. I'm not going to follow something that's contrary to that. Even employers. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Yeah, First Peter. If an employer, if a boss tells you, yeah, I know our price list says this, but I want you to charge this customer this and don't tell him anything about it. We're, we're going to get some extra. Should he do it? He's basically telling, lie to your customers. I want you to start lying to your customers, to our customers. For me, it would be, no, I'm sorry. You're asking me to cross a line I'm not willing to cross. Where's the testimony of Jesus Christ in that? There isn't one. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. That's what Jesus did. He did well. He did all things well, Scripture says there. And yet he suffered for it. That was well, well pleasing to God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. Um, When it says there, if you suffer... For doing what's right, that's kind of an indicator that of an employee, if you will, that has set his heart to do right and won't compromise from doing right. And if an employer tries to veer him off from doing right, but he won't compromise that, and he rather suffers for it, that's well-pleasing to God. By, not, by choosing not to cross a line. I No. I'm not going to lie, cheat, steal, whatever for my boss. Sorry. Well, then maybe you need to go find another job. Well, maybe you do. That, that's been done many times, has it not, through the centuries? People find different jobs. That's okay. There's principles that are, that are laid down here is what I'm trying to, to point out. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 3, next chapter over. I'm going to start at verse 12. 
says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. If you suffer for righteousness sake. Does that apply to everybody? Every believer in Christ? I, yeah. Even a wife, a Christian wife that's married to an ungodly husband. Does that apply to her? Yes, it does. I'm trying to lay out some principles here. It seems to get a little confusing with many Christians when it comes to a wife submitting to her husband. To me, this is inconsistent. If we say, okay, but the wife's got to submit whatever. Well, wait a second here. What about all these other examples and the principles that are set forth there? It gets confusing. <clears throat> okay. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to talk about wives. Ephesians chapter 5. This is a little... We're going to dig into some passages here that I think get uh, handled wrongly. They don't they get taken out of context. <clears throat> okay, Ephesians 5, I'm going to start at verse 21, read through verse 24. Verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Oh, why did he stick that word in there? In everything. Oh, everything. And see, that gets used. You see, you see, you see? Submit in everything. I had somebody point something out to me. He said this, Who is Paul writing to? Chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. That's who he's writing to. To me, I look at it this way. It'd be just an older brother here exhorting all the wives in here just because I know your husband. I know them personally. I can say, just, just trust your husband. What he tells you to do, just do it. You can trust him. That's the setting, okay? 
He's not saying that to every single wife that's married to every single husband in the world out there. It's a specific group. We were just reading about Paul being in Ephesus a little bit there. Paul was in Ephesus for two years. He knew the brethren there. He was there full time for two years. Okay, He knew them well. He, he had to have known them well. He could say this statement. He could write this statement. Trusting. Because I know these men, ladies. I know, I know your husbands. These are good men who love the Lord Jesus. They're not going to lead you astray. Just like I could say this to all the husbands here and all the wives here. Trust your husbands. Okay, does that make sense? It's important to, to, to look at the whole context of this thing here. And not pull it, pull it someplace where it's not. Okay. Now let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Praise the Lord. We're so far, not doing too bad. Time-wise. <clears throat> okay. First Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 12 through 15. We've read these before. I know they're familiar. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are, are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God hath called us to peace. There's a lot of theology in this that I don't, I don't want to get into. I don't understand a lot of it. There's a principle here that I want to look at, though. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, she be pleased to dwell with him. Let him not put her away. If a woman hath an husband, a believing woman hath a husband that is an unbeliever, and he's pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. Okay? What does that look like? That would be a question to look at. <clears throat> if an unbelieving husband has a believing wife, and he says, hey, let's go down to the bar. I want to go party. Both of us. I want you to come with me. Let's go here and let's go do this. And let's go out here and let's go shoot up some drugs. And let's go here and do some reprobate things over here. Would you conclude that that husband is pleased to live with a Christian wife? I would say no. Is he pleased to live with a Christian woman? A follower of Jesus Christ. Someone who is submitting herself to the call of Christ. Follow me. And is pressing on the upward way and is moving forward in Christ. That doesn't mean that doesn't give her a license to be mouthy with her husband and preach at her husband. And, you know, we'll, we'll touch on that here a little bit later. 
But she's a follower of Christ. If he's content with that, then Paul is saying, let her stay. But if he's not, where he begins to, to beat her and abuse her for her faith or begin to pressure her to go against her faith, that's the line you draw. Does that make sense? I had to have this pointed out to me. If he's pleased to live with a woman, his wife, who desires to follow Christ. Okay, let, fine. That's okay. Now, granted, and there's a lot of that out there. And, man, that, that's tough. It's got to be tough. But nevertheless, God has called us to peace. If this is the situation, let her stay. If not, well, it implies there's an open door. If, there, if it gets so bad to the point that maybe she's got to put a restraining order, let's say, on her husband, then you know, you're looking at separating yourselves there. Now, obviously, she's not free to remarry in that case. Neither would a man be, but there is a line there. I hope this makes sense. It's important to, to understand the context here. Okay. First Peter chapter 3 again. First Peter 3. Starts off with, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. In other words, like he just previously described in those verses in chapter 2 that we read earlier. That if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation or the behavior of the wives. While they behold, he's talking to wives here, while they behold your chaste conversation or, or behavior, that word means behavior, Coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, or wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Okay. So he's, he's saying... Yes, wise, be in subjection. But if you've got a husband that needs his heart won, it's not going to be won, again, if she's loud and boisterous and outspoken and, and coming down on him, preaching at him, and that kind of thing. That's, that's, that's not going to work. I tried that with my roommates after I got born again. I was going to preach him into heaven. And I tried. And it didn't work. But the instruction here is, wives, be in subjection, but do it with a meek and quiet spirit. That, that's what will break down a wall or a barrier. A soft answer turns away wrath. Scripture says there in Proverbs. Um, 
it's not done through vanity. You know, verse 3 says, Who's adorning, let it not be that of adorned, plating the hair, wearing of gold. And the, the principle there is, is, is vanity. You know, don't, don't think that vanity is going to win your husband if he needs one. But a meek and quiet spirit, godly, righteous behavior in the sight of God, uncompromising, that's, that's the principle I want to point out. Compromising her faith is not going to win his heart. Okay, that's not going to win his heart. He's saying, stay true with a meek and quiet spirit. Chaste behavior. God will use that to convict a man's heart. That's what works, is what he's saying. And, well, that's, that's what works. That, so, there, so there is a line, I guess my point I'm trying to, there is a line to draw there. I hope this makes sense. Okay. Okay, let's carry on. Here's some good ones here now. We're still in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's read verses 5 and 6. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well. It, there, right there. As long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Okay. There is a passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 18. Let's turn there. Genesis 18. Verse 12. Sarah's being told that she's going she's gonna to have a baby. She's going to have Isaac. There, verse 12 says, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, Am I, after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also. That's, that's, a, that's the reference there. She called him Lord. I'll tell you a little funny story. Many years ago, when my wife and I were 30, 31, 30, somewhere in there, we were both in the house doing something. She was working in the kitchen doing something. I was in the living room. I don't know. I said, hey, Joanna. And she said, yes, Lord. <laughs> she was obviously thinking about something, you know, thinking about the Lord. And that was her response. Yes, Lord. Of course, I went, ha, yeah. <laughs> Not really, though. <laughs> but we got a good laugh out of that one. <laughs> I just thought, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> that was funny. But she called Abraham her Lord. And that's a passage that gets you. See there, see there, see there. She called him Lord. And But the other two passages that get looked at more closely by those who ascribe to this teaching of obey your husbands, whatever, uh, that come out of the two stories where uh, Abraham told Sarah to lie. So let's go to 
Genesis chapter 12. Excuse me. Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. Abraham's talking to Sarai here in this case. Therefore, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, excuse me, that they shall say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And then, of course, verse 14, it came to pass when Abram was come to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. And then later on it says, The Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What have you done? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? So he told her to lie. Okay, I, that's, that's what it says there. I'm not going to argue with that. Okay, uh, Genesis chapter 20. <clears throat> Let's go to Genesis chapter 20. Starting at verse 1. It says, Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night now, well, hang on, and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. And of course, Abimelech, you know, he said, whoa, 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 I didn't know. He, he lied to me. And she didn't say she wasn't. So she lied there with him by, by not saying anything. You know, and, and so these two scriptures get used a lot to say, see, she obeyed Abraham even when he told her to lie. This, this is what gets used. And my point is this. Can we balance Scripture with more Scripture? I think so. Go to Acts chapter 5. You know the story. Ananias and Sapphira. Let's balance some Scripture with some Scripture here. Okay, you know the story. The people there, there was revival taking place. People were selling their property, bringing them money and the proceeds, laying it at the disciples' feet. And Ananias and Sapphira sell a piece of ground for this, this much, and they brought this much to give away. And they led the disciples to believe that this is how much they really sold it for so they could keep the difference for themselves. That's my understanding of this passage. So they lied. I don't think Peter cared that much that they sold it for this much and gave this much other than that they lied. They said, come on now. Man, you talk about the church not tolerating sin. Hoo-wee. Of course, we know the story. They both died as a result of that. But, here's the point I want to make. Ananias died. Fell down dead. Verse 7, Acts 5. It was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, 
tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. There's Peter said, did you? He knew they sold it for this much. He asked her, did you sell it for this much? And she said, yep, that much. Peter said, why have you done this? How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Can I ask a few questions? Is not Peter saying, it would have been better for you, Sapphira, to not go along with your husband in this scheme? Why have you agreed to go along with this? You should not have done this. I don't care if your husband did this. You should not have done this. Is that not what he's saying? I think it's pretty clear that's what he's saying. If I can be blunt enough to say, if your husband told you to go along with him, you should have disobeyed him. That should have been the line for you to draw. To say, no, I don't care if you're my husband. I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus and adhere to his principles and what he says is right will be right to me. I'm here some heads nodding, thinking I'm, I'm, I'm on track. You think I'm on track? Okay. This is a passage I think is a good one to use to try to balance out these things because those passages in Genesis get used a lot to drive the point home. See, 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 see. Sarah obeyed Abraham even when he told her to lie. Well, we don't know what would have happened if Abraham and Sarah would have been honest. Do, do, I mean, this is what happened. This is what was recorded. Do we know what would have happened if Abraham would have said, just tell him the truth? I don't, I don't I'm scared to death that they're going to kill me for, because of you, but let, let's do what's right here. He didn't do that. Now, yes, God preserved them. He preserved both of them. He was talking about the mercy of God. Uh, that's, that, that's the example there, is even when we blow it, in a situation like that, God is still merciful to us. Thank the Lord for that. But that doesn't excuse us to do what's wrong. <clears throat> okay. All right. Now, I still can see some potential for some confusion. There could be some ladies out there whose hearts are not right in a right place that would say, <laughs> see here, Brother Mike said, I don't have to obey you. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's not what I'm saying at all. And of course, you guys know this. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. I know that. There's a difference. What I'm talking about is a conscience toward God and true convictions of the heart as opposed to maybe a wife's idea or good idea that she might have that she may want to try and persuade her husband to follow and if the husband says no I don't I don't think that's a good idea we're, we're gonna we're gonna keep going this way she doesn't have a license to say well there's a difference between a good idea and a conviction and a conscience before God in the heart and there's times Sisters, 
lady, well, you're going to be a wife someday. Uh, there's a time to step back and say, Lord, I trust you. This really doesn't violate my conscience. I'm going to follow my husband. I trust him, and I trust him. I trust you in him. That's a big point. And that takes faith, sisters, because all of us men would look and say, <laughs> put your faith in me. I know my own faults. I know my own shortcomings. All the men would say that. And, and yet, here's, here comes our wife saying, honey, I trust you. I'm going to be right beside you. I'm your helpmate. I delight in that. And I'm here beside you. That's humbling. That, it, it, it ought to be humbling, truly humbling to a husband. Because if we walk humbly before God, we know we don't deserve that. We don't deserve any respect from our wives. It's humbling. It should be. It's okay. But, you know, it can be challenging for a wife, too. <clears throat> That's okay. Remember, we are here to paint a picture of Christ and His bride. It all, it all points to Him. A wedding between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. It's a picture of the final beautiful wedding when Jesus comes back for His bride. And we all look forward to that. But we're here to fulfill a role. Okay? Husband, you have an enormous task to be a representation of Jesus Christ to, to His church. It's huge. And none of us can do it in our own strength. Not one of us. We've got to have the grace of God to fulfill that. Ladies, you have the enormous task of being a representation of the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of the Savior. And you can't do that on your own. It's too big. You need the grace of God. You need His strength and power and faith in order to do that. But when we do that and we willingly step into those roles because we love God, there is a beautiful, clear picture of Christ in the church. And God looks and smiles and is pleased. That's what it's all about. It's all about the glory of our Lord and our Savior. It's about Him. Um, but, you know, my point that I want to drive home is just to bring home some solid teaching and to expose some error that I believe that's out there and uh, so that we understand, uh, again, we are all called to be followers and disciples of the Lord Jesus. We're all called to that, each and every one of us, husband, wife, man, woman, boy, girl. The call is follow me. And we all know that he defines the terms of our so We follow him according to his word. According to his terms. He's God and we're not. We're going to answer to him. He's not going to answer to us. <clears throat> he lays it out. Follow me. Where are we going? Just follow me. I'll show you. It'll be okay. You'll be tested. It'll be a challenge. It won't be easy. But we read that in Acts. Paul knew there was bonds and beatings ahead of him. As he was purposed to go to Jerusalem. He said... I don't care. That doesn't move me. I'm going to follow the leading of my Lord and my Savior. <clears throat> no matter what it is. 
It won't be easy at times. It's not easy at times. We, we read those verses at the beginning. It's expensive sometimes. When it costs family members, it's expensive. It hurts. It's not fun. But that doesn't mean we don't heed His call of follow me. So wives, your first and foremost calling is to follow your Lord Jesus. And you've got good instruction right here. And I'll always encourage everybody, you've got God's Word. We have no excuse in this country. Read it. You know, one thing I would point out, you know, I kind of forgot, but I want to, I want to say this. Let's say you've got a wife, a Christian wife, with an unbeliever. And to the point where he, he grabs every Bible in the house and he gets rid of it and he burns them. He says, you're not going to have a Bible. Well, would we still be more appropriate for a sister? Be called to try to be some type of encouragement to that sister in, in living in such a circumstance. If she called up one of you sisters and she said, I don't have a Bible. Would you just, would you read your Bible to me? What would you do? Read your Bible to her. Amen. You'd do it. If you could sneak in a Bible to her. She says, oh, that's sneaky though. Would we give it to her? Yes. Thank you. I see someone nodding their head. Yes. The point being, okay, there's people sneaking Bibles into China. Do we quit sneaking Bibles into China because it's sneaky? No, we keep doing it. Does the principle apply also to a wife in that circumstance? And I would say, yes, it does. So let's, let's follow Jesus according to His Word. And let's encourage those, especially those in difficult situations like that. I hope this, was a, hope this makes sense. And if anybody's got any wonderings or questions, that's, that's fine. It's been on my heart for a long time. Um, well, and what happened was, I'll give you a little history, even be, why I, I taught this 11 years ago. We, we had a we had a wife that was coming to our church who did have her blessing, a blessing from her husband who did not come to church. He stayed at home. He had his preachers on TV he wanted to listen to. And, oh, okay, whatever. Um, but she wanted to be a part of our particular church, you know, because of convictions and that kind of thing that she appreciated. And she saw the direction where we were headed. And, and uh <clears throat> There was a few people in the church that were upset. Well, she, she should be home with, with her husband, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I said, listen, she's got the blessing from her husband. And the, the situation, it wasn't that great. Um, and I just sincerely believed in my heart that it was fine for her being. She wasn't being disrespectful. She sought the blessing. She was walking a... a gentle, fragile line trying to live out her faith and be respectful and not stir the pot. And uh, it was it was difficult. That, that poor lady, uh, my heart went out to her. 
But that's what came up and what came out of it. <clears throat> and, you know, also, I'll, I'll point this out, that people are also in different places. And where people are at any given day is not so much the concern that I would have, but the question is not where you're at, but which way are you going? Are you going up or are you going down? And uh, so, therefore, the practical application of these principles in this situation could vary from one couple to the next. Okay, for example, there was another sister in our church who came by herself. And her husband told her, you know, that's who you belong with. Just you're, you're free to go to church. And she drove two hours to church one way. And she was faithful. And she's been faithful since, I think, 1993. This sister, talk about. And she's been through a lot, this sister I'm talking about. And, um, but her husband, a lot of times, wanted to sit down with her and watch Hollywood movies. And... She really wrestled with that. And she got to the point where, okay, she'd kind of take it one by one. She I want to be with my husband and be respectful. And yet, she admitted, she said, there were some times where she said, Honey, I, can I just be free to go read a book? This one's really bugging me. I don't know if she said it all like that. And she would try to tolerate as much as she could in her conscience and be respectful to her husband at the same time. Put yourself in her shoes. Who would like to walk like that? Bless this lady's heart. Um, and it was tough. And but that's where she was in her conscience. Okay, in her convictions. Okay, it's it, it's going to be different from one couple to the next. And uh, and so how to guide people through that? Um, and who knows, brothers, maybe, you know, we may be coming across families that may be in those situations. And we need a lot of God's wisdom to help them through that, to not compromise their faith and yet be respectful towards their husband. Find that place of a meek and quiet spirit. It's not easy sometimes. We need God and we need his wisdom to help people through those situations. But my point is, it could vary from one to the next, just depending on where people are in their walk and in their their walk of faith, how they work that out practically. So, anyway, this has just been something that's been on my heart because uh, I have a burden for truth and good teaching. I value any extra input any of my brothers can give me here uh, and everybody else. But uh, God bless you. Thanks for your attention. Thanks for your time. Brother Mike, for those words um, that can only not apply to the housewife or you as wives, but also to we as men to stand for what's right and what God's word says. And uh, so, Brother Mike, I got a request for you. <clears throat> so, your next sermon can be um, 
on the other side. So, I think it's interesting what you shared this morning because this morning, as I listened to my um, weekly Sunday morning message, um, he talked about, the pastor talked about these, um, a, a Christian home, and uh, um, I'm not sure exactly how he had it titled, but basically the horsepower that can come from a, a marriage that's strong, that's biblically based, and, and the, the blessings of that. I thought that was very good. It all went together. And uh, just as I was walking out the door, or was getting ready, he made this comment. He said, we as husbands, he was talking about both sides in a marriage. And he says, we as husbands are not to be, um, he was really coming out strong as we as husbands need to be leaders in our homes. And he said, we are called to be leaders, not bosses. So I thought that was good. And... Uh, so anyway, open it up. Anybody? Two things while he was talking. Um, something Roger says that I just really appreciated is that there there are scriptures in the Bible that are specific to certain groups, whether it be authority, whether it be people who are under authority, wives, husbands. And he says it's a, it's our responsibility to find those scriptures us and follow them wholeheartedly. It's not up to us to tell a wife how to submit, that she should submit. Those verses are for her, between her and God to follow. And I, and I really appreciate that point of view because there, there is a tendency, you know, to say, you know, the Bible says you're supposed to say yes to this, right? You know, and that's that's not necessarily our, our role. And the other thing is that this morning I had a chance to, to listen to a couple pre-sermons like, like you were saying. Thomas shared a, a story that he was he lived in uh, Israel, and there were some Russian Baptists that had uh, left communist Russia to two twin sisters, older ladies, and they he said that they uh, they were very loud and praising God, um, much more than any Pentecostal he's been around. And they they were met with him and his wife early in the morning, and they were praising God extremely loudly. And, Good. Uh, there was a <laughs> knock on the door and there was a lady that came from his congregation in Israel. She was dragging her husband. And, and she was there to praise and she brought her husband because he was demon possessed. And said, you're going to get him out. And, and he was just kicking him through the whole way, but apparently he submitted to his wife. And showed up. And at one point he, he said, and this is the point of the story, he said that the, the praising was so loud and the, the singing and the, the, this before the Lord was just so uncomfortable for this demon possessed man that he got up and said I, I'm not into any of this this is just all wrong, I'm, I'm leaving and he, the pastor got up to him and said well, you have two choices you can leave and the demon will go with you or you can stay and the demon will leave without you and, and the guy decided to stay and he was delivered that day Hallelujah. so the power of the praise I say, I say this when he was talking about the woman's role and on godly husband more she gives herself over to the devotion to the Lord, and she praises Him and outwardly shows a love and a, and a deep moving of the Holy Spirit in her, the more the devil's going to be uncomfortable with man. And vice versa. But in this, in this what we're talking about. And the, the, the more we focus on becoming godly, the, the 
bless the ungodly can remain. Did the decimal point go up when the, when he left without the demon? He didn't say that. I hope it did. <laughs> Someone else? For many years, I didn't understand this whole chain of authority. I just, it, it was so confusing in my mind. But, you know, as I get older, it becomes clear how this all works. I was talking to a man this past week, and I talked to him about being under authority and how to be under authority. And I said, you know, if you understand how it all works, and I said, I'm, no, I'm, not a, I'm not an authority on this, but I said, a little bit that I know, I just shared with him. I said, you know, I said, um, you know, pick somebody in your life that, you know, that knows you and uh, and get under authority and, and just listen to him. And, and, you know, it's not that he is the ultimate authority, but I said, um, so he shares some things with me and I happen to know who he, um, who he decided to uh, use as his authority over this, over him. He's an older man, older than me. And uh, I told him, I said, you'll do well under him. You'll do well. I said, it'll be so simple. When you get bombarded by all these things, you know, you just quick phone call, quick text. You know, we live in a day when all that is there. Let's use it. Okay, someone else. If not, Caleb, do you have a verse of song we can sing if you want to come and lead that? Then, Matt, would you want to pray for us? Dismiss us. Thank you.
Let's turn to number 793 when we walk with the Lord. Number 793. And let's just sing the first verse. Thank you. 